Today's guest on the podcast is Emily Fletcher. She's the author of the new book, Stress Less, Accomplish More. Doesn't that sound amazing? I mean, really. But here's the caveat for me. It's about meditating. Dun, dun, dun. And we had a conversation before we started recording. And I told her, I said, I've recorded a bunch of episodes, over 100 now, and so many people meditate, and I have an aversion to it, and here's why. So we get into all of my excuses, and perhaps some of yours, as to why you don't meditate. And if you do meditate, but perhaps are not finding it effective, she has some insights into that as well. So I hope you all enjoy this episode with Emily Fletcher, founder of Ziva Meditation and author of the new book, Stress Less, Accomplish More. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Emily Fletcher. Hi, Emily. Hello. Welcome. I'm real happy to be here and get you meditating for once and for all. <laughs> you guys are talking about meditation today, dun, dun, dun. but super excited to have Emily here. I saw your Instagram post from a few days ago where you went into a bookstore and saw your book on the shelf. So that's super exciting. Let's talk about your book just a little bit. Yeah, it's called Stress Less, Accomplish More. And the subtitle is Meditation for Extraordinary Performance. And really what this book is designed to do is to reframe meditation as the performance and productivity tool that it can be. Because everyone knows they should be meditating, right? You said all your guests come on and they say, you know, you got to meditate. I meditate. It's the best. And yet you're like, I have these aversions to it. Thing is like, everyone knows they should be doing it. No one's actually doing it. And so what I wanted to do in this book is just break down the science behind all of the quote unquote selfish reasons that we would come to meditation and talk about why stress is making us stupid, sick, and slow, and how meditation is the least selfish thing that you can do, and why it gives you better sleep and better sex and helps you make more money. And so, and it's nice to do. That, that, med, um, that stress is making you stupid. That really made my ears perk up when I saw that on your website. I was like, well, it's making you stupid. So mm -hmm. how? How are we getting stupider from stress? Well, the thing is when the, when we get stressed, the body launches into an involuntary fight or flight stress reaction. And this is left over from, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, basically designed to protect us from tigers and lions and bears. And so this fight or flight thing is really designed to deal with predators. And so when we get stressed, the first thing that happens is that our digestion floods with acid to shut down digestion because we need all of our energy to fight or flee the tiger. That same acid will seep onto your skin so that you don't taste good if that tiger bites you. This is what prematurely ages us when we're stressed. Uh, your bladder and bowels will evacuate. Your adrenaline and cortisol levels will increase. And adrenaline and cortisol are um, stress chemicals, stress hormones, but they're also acidic in nature. And that acid can lead to inflammation, which is the basis of all chronic disease. Um, your immune system goes to the back burner because who cares if you're going to be, if you're going to get cancer, if you're about to be eaten by a tiger and also your sex drive decreases because who cares about procreation if <laughs> your meat suit is about to be destroyed. And so basically this series of chemical reactions is very useful. It's very relevant if your demands are saber toothed tigers. But if your demands are emails, deadlines, kids, red eyes, in-laws, 
emails, then, then this fight or flight thing has become maladaptive. It's actually disallowing us from performing at the top of our game because our brains and bodies are wasting so much energy preparing for essentially an imaginary tiger attack. Now, the thing is, if you were to get jumped in a back alleyway, get stressed. You know, it's not bad for you to get stressed. What's killing us is the staying stressed. And it's this low grade chronic fight or flight that we just now consider to be the norm. That is what is killing us. It's why doctors are calling stress the black plague of our century. There's new research coming out from Harvard Medical School suggesting that stress is responsible for 90% of all doctors' visits. And and what I don't understand is that this is a solvable problem. Like there is a scientifically proven tool that eradicates it, that melts it away, and yet none of us are doing it because we think we're too busy. And it's just we we have to we have to change this. Okay. So before we get into making me meditate and solving these problems. Let's go back a little bit to your history. So how did you come to meditate? And then how did you come to write your book and and, and be the founder of Ziva Meditation? Mm. So I was on Broadway for 10 years of singing and dancing and acting on Broadway. And my last job was a chorus line where I was understudying three of the leading roles which means you show up to the theater with absolutely no idea which character you're going to play that day. No stress there. Nope. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's literally like a lot of people's nightmare and that was my job. And so that stress started leading to anxiety. I couldn't sleep through the night for about 18 months. And then that anxiety started leading to me going gray at the tender age of 26. I started getting sick and injured. So here I am living my dream, but the reality had become a nightmare. And so long story short, I found meditation first day of my first class. I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months. And I have every night since that was 11 years ago. I then stopped going gray. I'm going to be 40 next month. I have like one gray hair. Wait, you legit- reversed your gray hair? I reversed my gray Stop hair. Stop it. I'm not even kidding. And I can talk about the science behind that in a minute. But like it was, I mean, I'm, I'm literally, I'm going to be 40 next month. I have one gray hair. And then I was through, I was 26, 27 and I was going gray. Um, when I started this, I, and then the other crazy thing is that I didn't get sick for eight and a half years. So I went from getting sick four to five times a year, you know, like having to call out of the show, like debilitating sore throats to didn't get sick for eight and a half years. And then I started enjoying my life and I started enjoying my job again. And I thought, why does everyone not do this? So I left Broadway, I went to India and I started what became a three-year training process to become a teacher. And then since I graduated, I opened up Ziva here in New York. So I have a studio here in the city where I teach Ziva Live. And then we created the world's first online meditation training, which I'm very proud of. And so people can learn all over the world. And then now I wrote this book, which came out just last week, and it's like kind of soared to the top of Amazon. We made it all the way to number seven out of all books on Amazon. That was like next to Michelle Obama and Marie Kondo. And I was like freaking (laughs) out, (laughs) Um, which is just goes to show that people are ready. You know, people are recognizing that the tools we've been relying on for so long are not really serving us. We can't, you know, drink coffee all day and drink alcohol all night and then wonder why we get cancer at 45. Um, so anyway, it's just been such an exciting journey and and it's been such, such a rewarding journey to be able to share these life-changing practices with people. So tell me a little bit about your training in India and and that sounds very eat, pray, love. (laughs) It was very eat, pray, love. As a matter of fact, I, if anyone's seen a photo of me, I, there's not like a 
I look a little bit like Julia Roberts, not a ton, but a little bit like a kind of tall, same color hair, like a big toothy grin. <laughs> and, um, she was in India shooting Eat, Pray, Love at the same time that I was there. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so people would stop me on the streets all the time and ask to take photos with me. And part of that was just because I was a tall white lady. But I think part of it, then when there would be like crowds of people around me, I think people then assumed I was famous. And so then people thought that I was her. And then finally, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to put on some sunglasses and a hat and start signing autographs. I feel like it's a fine. I feel like it's a win, win, win. <laughs> I feel like a celebrity. They think they met Julia Roberts. It's all fine. <laughs> That's hilarious. Then Julia Roberts sues you for impersonating her. And it's I know. Like, I'm like, I'm sorry, Julia Roberts. Right. <laughs> I didn't mean to tarnish your name. Yeah, you have to say her name like first and last. Sorry, Julia Roberts. Exactly. <laughs> so what was that like? I mean, what, talk about talk about that journey. That's so just out there to me. That mm. you know, I mean, it, it shouldn't be, but it, I mean, it also makes me kind of jealous. So well, well I mean, it. so one thing is to know that I was not in India for three years straight like that. I'm not that hardcore. My training was very hardcore. Um, my training was, you know, thousands of hours of meditation, thousands of hours of apprenticing, thousands of hours of transcribing books by hand in Sanskrit. And basically what you're doing in teacher training, in addition to memorizing lots of, of the material is you're just doing deep, deep cleaning work on yourself, you know, because if you raise your hand and say, I want to be a meditation teacher, Basically, it's like no one wants to learn meditation from someone who's sick, sad, and stressed, you know, so you got a clean house. And so you basically just have a lifetime of old trauma and sadness and rage coming up and out. So it's it's really intense. Um, It sounds like writing a book. Yeah, and writing a book (laughs) is also very intense. Um, But my husband jokes, he's like, you don't do things halfway. I'm like, nope. No. (laughs) No, I do not. But it's interesting. So you had already, quote, unquote, Queen, cleaned up a lot of your headspace through like long before you went to India. So what when you got to India and you started cleaning more, as you say, um, what more did you find? Was there still so much you had not seen yet? Well, I had actually only been meditating for about one year when I went to India. So, and that, that might sound like a long time, but really, it's it's not. It's you know, it's, for most people, it takes like seven to ten years to get rid of the lifetime of accumulated stresses that most of us have in our nervous system. So I'd only been meditating for a year. And then you definitely turn up the volume on the intensity of the practice when you're in teacher training. Um, So sometimes you're doing like eight, 10, sometimes 12 hours of meditation a day. And, and PS, I would not recommend that for people who do not have a teacher. Like you are, you have to be under daily supervision. You have to be in like a controlled environment to meditate that much because it's really, they're powerful tools and it's, more is not better in the case of meditation. This is just a very specific, you know, catharsis program that you're going through. <clears throat> but honestly, there was a few things that came up for me. One, when I first got to India, the big thing that came up was um, wanting a baby. And it was fascinating because I wasn't even in a relationship and I didn't even necessarily want to be married, but I just had this overwhelming, like, call to have a baby. And um, so it was spent a lot of time, my first time connecting with sort of like the the spirit of my, I now have a son, he's eight months old, he's in the next room in case you hear him. Um, but that was, you know, 11 years later or 10 years later that he came in. But uh, the other big thing that came up was mourning the loss of my career as an actress because thankfully I didn't leave acting because I didn't have work. Like I was working. I, I spent 10 years as a working actress and um, and so leaving it was very sad for me. It was a, it was a big part of my identity 
And I had been acting since I was in fourth grade, you know, since I had been taking classes. And, and so there, I was a big, it was, I was scared to let go of who I was, but there's that beautiful quote that in order to step into who you can be, you must be willing to let go of who you are. And so there was a big process of, of letting go of that. I remember one day I was um, living in LA at the time and I was watching the Tony Awards on like live streams, like on YouTube or something. And I just sat in my bed and cried and cried oh. and cried and cried and cried because it just felt like... I was saying goodbye to that chapter. But the funny thing was I wasn't even really saying goodbye because even after I graduated as a teacher, I got invited to perform at, um, um, the name is escaping me right now, but he was the the composer for a chorus line. What is his name? He won the EGOT. (laughs) Anyway, um, it'll come in. It'll come in as I tell the story, but, um, I got invited to sing and I thought it was just going to be like a small memorial concert, maybe at a church or something, but I ended up being at Juilliard and Mike Nichols performed. And, and I'm not kidding when I say I was sandwiched in between Liza Minnelli, Aretha Franklin and Barbara Streisand. <laughs> like, I'm not, like the program was, was like, Julia Roberts. <laughs> I know where was Julia Roberts? Maybe she was in the audience, but that was, so here I was in LA, like mourning the loss of my career as an actress moving into teaching meditation, but it wasn't even the truth. Like there was still things to come, but now I'm, I'm definitely all in a hundred percent Ziva. I'm not acting anymore. And, and that came a couple of years later. Like I, I was still doing both for a while, but then it became very clear where nature wanted to use me. And so I just had to listen to that. And so where you sit right now, you're good with that. Yeah. A thousand percent. I mean, I feel like I am right on schedule, right on path, doing exactly what I'm meant to be doing. And I'm still performing. I'm still acting. It was still like my, I'm using the lifetime of performance training that I have, but just to deliver these life-changing tools. Cause I, I mean, one of my, I think one of the gifts that I have as a teacher is making it really entertaining, making it really accessible, keeping people from falling asleep and just making it not so serious. You know, we take the practice very seriously, but not ourselves. And so I just like to make it fun and entertaining for folks. Well, one of the things you said that I actually wrote down was how meditation, it takes a long time to rid yourself of the accumulated stresses. That just stuck in my forehead really hard just now. Um, Thinking about how I know me personally, day to day, I don't feel nearly as stressed as I used to perhaps when my kids were little and I was a lawyer and all this stuff. But mm-hmm. I still have moments where I'm kind of crippled by this anxious feeling and stress, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. So when you said accumulated stresses, it's, it almost felt like <laughs> you were identi- putting a name to that feeling I get. Mm, yes, because the thing is, the dog that barked in your face when you were 10, your parents divorce when you were 12, that breakup when you were 16, all of that stuff has been stored in your cellular memory. And so even if you're having a great day today, that doesn't mean that all of that stuff has been healed or processed, even if you've been doing therapy. And this is not to diss therapy. I think therapy is a very valuable tool, but therapy is giving you a framework and an operating system through which to see life. It's it's like a software upgrade. Whereas meditation is healing things on a cellular level and it's more of a hardware upgrade. It's actually defragging the brain computer. And what I love about it is that you then, that then allows you to act in accordance with whatever software you like. You know, sometimes people are afraid of meditating because they think it's in conflict with their religion, but that's not true at all. I mean, it can be like there, you can definitely go deep down the meditation rabbit hole and assume it as an identity or a doctrine or a dogma. 
but the tool itself is not inherently dogmatic. I think that meditation, if you're a Christian, it can make you a better Christian. If you're Jewish, it can make you a better Jew because it's basically getting rid of all that old stress in your body so that you can act in accordance with the teachings of any spiritual text. Wow. Okay. So we talked a little bit offline that I have an aversion to meditation, (laughs) a self-proclaimed aversion to it. And I don't know why. And I I think it's just like the last holdout for me. Um, I worked through so many things and then here I sit, um, with not, I mean, everyone, I I think this is like my 107th recording and probably 97 guests say that that is the thing they do that makes their day good. And I go, "Uh uh-huh, that's great. And then I move on. And the closest I got was downloading some meditations to listen to right before bed. And I made it through day five, which was great because I mean, I only had what, like 12 more to go till I officially created a habit. And then I just dropped it. So what do you do with people like me? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I really want you to change my mind because I'm tired of being stubborn about it. And I don't really know why I'm so resistant to, to meditating. Well, tell me what your aversions are. Okay. So I'm super like functional. I I don't like to quote unquote waste time. Mm -hmm. I like to make sure every minute is utilized in some sort of great way. I don't just sit down and watch TV for hours and hours. And if I'm watching TV, I'm also writing, you know, I'm always doing something that I feel is propelling me in a direction that I have determined I need to go. And so like your Mm -hmm. book, stress less, accomplish more, meditate. I'm like, what, how can I possibly accomplish more if I'm taking all this time to not do anything? But I know that's not what it is, but that, I think that's sort of my rationale or Mm -hmm. it could be, I don't want to know what's in my head, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is entirely possible too, because I do have a lot of accumulated stress. Mm-hmm. I know that from my childhood, from teenage years, um, I had a very bad drinking problem. I'm three, three and a half years sober, three years Congratulations. sober. Um, so I know I have a lot of regrets and things I wish mm-hmm. I hadn't done, especially during the drinking years. And, and so I think it's a, it's all of those things. So mm-hmm. have at it, Julia. Okay. <laughs> all right. Mrs. Roberts coming to you. Um, okay. So first of all, thank you so much for sharing so openly and honestly, Second of all, you are not alone. And third of all, thank you for articulating basically exactly the core feeling and belief of the exact archetype of who I wrote this book for. Like you are the exact person who I wanted to reach this book. Like, so the type A hyper achiever, hyper productive, think you're too busy to meditate. Think you don't have time to meditate. Think it's a waste of time. So let's break this down one by one. One is, um, the busy piece, right? Like I'm too busy. I don't have time to meditate. I don't want to waste my time. I need to be doing something that's propelling me forward and just sitting there is not doing that. And and look, you've even tried, like you downloaded some guided visualizations. You download some mind- mindfulness oh things. You gosh, did it for... I go to, like if I go to yin yoga, mm-hmm. I'm crawling out of my skin because, but I can go to flow yoga and just because mm-hmm. I'm moving, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm doing something, but to sit there, yeah. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> yes. Okay. I hear you. Okay. I hear you. I was you. Okay. Okay. Um, so here's the thing. If you 
download like a free guided visualization or a mindfulness exercise or like one of the free meditation apps that are out there or do a free video on YouTube. Like, first of all, those I'm putting those in the category of mindfulness, right? So that's anytime someone's guiding you through something, or if you're focusing on your breath or doing a guided visualization or imagining a waterfall, I'm putting that in the mindfulness category, which mindfulness is very good for you. I define it as the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment, but it's very different than the meditation that I teach in the book and the meditation that I teach at Ziva, which is all about getting rid of your stress from the past. And the trick here is that it is that when we're doing that meditation, you're giving your body rest that is five times deeper than sleep. And that's not insignificant because when you give your body the rest that it needs, it knows how to heal itself. And one of the things that it heals itself from is stress from the past. And the trick there is that it is all that stress from our past that is making us stupid, sick, and slow. That's the thing that is allowing like too many windows to be open on your brain computer. So the meditation is going in and closing down those windows so that you have more computing power, more energy for the task at hand. So really it is getting rid of the backlog of stresses, which is making you perform better, which is making you accomplish more. So your to-do list that used to take you five hours might start to take you two or three. And the, the average report that I hear from my students is that when they start Ziva meditation, they gain about three hours of productivity in their day. So they've made a 30 minute time investment. So 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the afternoon. So for a 30 minute time investment, they're gaining three hours of productivity back. So this idea that it's a waste of time only comes about because people are doing like dumb, it's not dumb. That's, that's pejorative. I take that back. They're doing meditation that was not designed for them. They're doing meditation that was designed for monks and not for people like us, people with busy minds and busy lives. And here's what I would argue is that if you're not seeing a return on your time investment, then you should try something else because our time is our most valuable resource. So if you're doing a free app for a couple of days and you're not noticing you know, a return on that investment. If you're not seeing that your sleep is better, that your sex is better, that you have better parking karma, that you're more creative. <laughs> parking <then> karma. <laughs> that's, there's a whole chapter called better parking karma, um, which is a real thing. You know, when you're in flow state, you're just like, Ooh, rockstar parking. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that becomes your whole life when you're meditating because you're taking your right brain to the gym. So you access that flow state. You start to be able to curate and cultivate that flow state. So you become so much more effective and so much more efficient at everything that you do, including your sleep. Because if you're not meditating, then your body has to use your sleep as a time for stress release, which means that your sleep signatures are going to look like mountains and valleys. It's going to go up and down and up and down all night. And you wake up and you're exhausted versus if you're meditating, you're using that time as a time for stress release. So you can use your sleep as a time for sleep. And so your sleep signature starts to look like a basin, you know, it just goes light, medium, deep for six hours. And then you wake up refreshed. So a lot of students will, will report needing less sleep and feeling more rested. So even if you only shave one hour off of the sleep that you need at night, again, for a 30 minute total time investment, you now have 30 extra minutes in your day. So this is not about like just sitting around and thinking about your enlightenment and navel gazing. This is, this is straight up a productivity and time saving tool. Like Mark Hyman, Dr. Mark Hyman is the father of functional medicine, the head of the Cleveland clinic for functional medicine, 11 time New York times bestselling author. He's a student of Ziva and he says, I don't have time not to meditate. Yeah. I feel that way about my workouts. I feel that way about my food prep. So Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, it it feels like I should do this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and I'm not someone who thinks I'm too busy because I, I think that's such a 
fallacy. You you have time for what you make time for. Mm-hmm. So I know I have time for it. But um, you also make time for things that you see the return on investment. Yes. Like if, if you're exercising, you're feeling better. If you're f- doing food prep, you're feeling better. Yep. But I would argue that if you're doing like a free watered down mindfulness exercise, that's an adaptation of something that was originally made for a monk instead of a type of meditation that was made for you, that's powerful. That's actually going in and getting rid of that old gunk in the nervous system. Then you're not going to see such a powerful return on investment. Sure. So how is Ziva different? So most people are teaching, well, the most common thing that's out there is actually mindfulness, right? So the quote unquote meditation apps, the quote unquote guided meditation, YouTube videos, the drop-in studios, like I said, are are teaching what I would call mindfulness. And they're also guiding you. They're um, basically holding your hand and doing it for you, which is why most people say, well, I like guided meditations, which really just means that they've never been taught how to meditate. Um, and so I liken this to that old parable of, you know, give a man to give a man a fish. He eats for a day, teach a man to fish. He eats for a lifetime. And what a lot of the apps out there are doing is that they're giving you a meditation. And so you meditate for a day, but then if you don't have Wi-Fi or phone is dead or you don't have your headphones, you know, then you can't really meditate. Um, and you're not really seeing that return on investment versus what Ziva does is that we make people self-sufficient. So with the book, with Ziva Online, which is our online training, and with Ziva Live, which is our in-person training, in all three of these different types of learning, you're going to graduate self-sufficient. By the time you graduate or read the book, you will have these tools to take with you for life. So that's one thing that's really unique. The other thing that's unique is that we're teaching a trifecta of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. So the three M's. And I have found that the whole really is greater than the sum of its parts. Because, and so this goes to your second aversion to meditation (laughs) where you said, well, you know, I, I'm, you know, my life is full and I don't want to sit still. But then the other thing you said is maybe I also don't know what want to know what's going on in my mind. Maybe I don't want to really feel those feelings because I have some regrets and I have some old addictions. And, and I think that that is a, is a much bigger secret reason why a lot of people quit meditating. Cause yeah. the thing is, it's going to make you face yourself. It's your, it will cause a healing catharsis and there will be a release. If the meditation is worth its salt, there will be some sort of a purge. And let's face it, there's billions of dollars of industry built on top of ensuring that you never have to feel a feeling. You know, if you're sad, take a pill. If you're lonely, have some Facebook. If you're angry, have a cookie. You know, don't feel, don't feel, don't feel. And the meditation rings you out and it and it gets that old stuff coming up and out. And I think that that's a huge resistance point for people and a big time when people jump ship. And that's why we have this trifecta, because it's the meditation that is creating that catharsis. And so what I do at Ziva is that I teach people how to use mindfulness, actually, as a tool to feel and sit in that uncomfortable sensation when it comes up and out. Ooh, that's a lot. I'm sweating. My hands are sweating. Yep. Because <laughs> here's what's happening. That stress that's in your body, it knows that it's in trouble right now. Right. <laughs> and it, it is trying to hold on. It like Just like cancer yeah. wants to grow, stress wants to grow. It does not want to be eradicated. So it's going to fight back a little bit. Yeah. I mean, this really is like the final frontier for me. I started, I, I had two books coming out this year, but one wow. that just went out to production. So it'll be out in the fall. But it was a book that I set out to write called The Year of No Nonsense, and it was about how I got rid of all this nonsense, and it was supposed to be funny and lighthearted and, you know, like a 10-step program. Well, (laughs) I started writing it, and I started 
getting sick and I started sweating and I started unearthing all these memories and and the whole book changed. And, you know, I went to my editor and I was like, this is a different book now. She's like, whatever, write it. It sounds great. Um, but it's very interesting because that process came up because I started writing at four in the morning. Normally I'd kind of squeeze it in during the daylight with the kids, the school, the whatever. Um, but when I found that quiet space and, um, started writing from four to six every morning, it, all these weird things started coming up. And so I kind of feel like that was almost a writing meditation in a way because I was having to, to get all this stuff out, but then to make it very personal and also healing for me at the same time. And so I know I'm capable of this. And that was like the hardest six months of my life. And I really don't want to relive it. <laughs> but at the same time, I grew so much in that time period. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of, I think that's why I'm sweating now. Cause I feel mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to have to do this again. <laughs> yeah. Even more. Yeah. I, I hear you. And I, again, you're not alone, but here's what I've found is that your body is not going to take you further than you're able to handle, mm -hmm. right? Like the meditation is not going to just catapult you into an extreme you know, healing crisis. Yeah. And, and it's almost like a pressure cooker, you know, the pressure cooker is, it's like, and it's just that steam releases bit by bit. And it's just bit by bit, day by day. It's like, it's like loofing your skin. It's not like cutting your skin off, you know, and you might have a couple of days of tears. You might have a couple of days of irritability, some, some tiredness, but it moves pretty quickly. And I think that that is a big reason why it's important to have a teacher or some guidance. And this would be a reason why people might want to choose the online course or the in-person course versus, you know, the book. And that would be a very personal decision just because if you have dealt with some extreme trauma or a passive addiction, then it, it may behoove you to work a little bit closer with someone. Now, I've tried to manage for that in that the book is gentler than the online course, which is gentler than the in-person course, based on how much contact I'm going to have with folks to help them through that that uh, period of emotional and physical detox. Um, and so, but in, in any case, what you can do is you can always turn the, like turn the volume up and down. It's like, you can take your foot on or off the gas pedal. So you, what I would recommend is just go slow. You know, I, I build people up, um, in most of the courses. And so you might want to stay at like 10 minutes twice a day for a little while. And then, you know, when that's feeling stable, then you could bump it up to 15 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes in the afternoon, and then just slowly work your way up to the 15 minutes twice a day. So how has being a meditating mom mm -hmm. saved you? Because I know it has. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will say that to be very honest, when I first had Jasper, so he's eight months old now, and my first month postpartum was brutal. It just brought me right to my knees. And there was a, there was a string of health complications with him and with myself. And it was just, I was in excruciating pain and not sleeping and he wasn't getting enough food. I wasn't making enough milk. He had a tongue tie. My stitches came out. He got jaundice. Like it was just, it was a nightmare. And, um, I mean a nightmare, but he was ultimately healthy. You know what I mean? Like it was, right. there, there are people who actually have nightmares. Mine was just challenging. Right. And, um, but anyway, point of the story is that I stopped meditating for about a month. I didn't meditate. And I think it's cause I needed that adrenaline to handle the pain and I needed the cortisol to stay awake. And so it was like, I was in the battle zone. And so I actually needed my body to be stressed to get through that. 
And then once we got the tongue tie fixed and my stitches got fixed and we started, I got over myself and I started supplementing with formula. And so he wasn't hungry and like bit by bit, we started unwinding the web. And then I was able to do once a day meditation and that really helped. And then two months in, I went back to work, which I think is way too early. And then I started back with twice a day. And while that was very challenging, that period, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for it because it gave me a level of compassion and empathy that I think I had started to lose a little bit because if you've been meditating twice a day for 11 years, you, you honestly kind of forget what it's like to struggle. <laughs> you know, not that life, it's not that you don't have challenges, but you're just, life's just kind of like easy and awesome and effortless and great. And, and sometimes you can get a little arrogant you know, of like, well, why are you sad? Or why are you anxious? <laughs> why are you like, wow, just yeah. get over it. And because it's, it's just so, it becomes so far removed from your experience. And so I think it was nature giving me like a nice reminder and a nice like dose of empathy and compassion. Because when you're in that intensity, it's sometimes hard to believe you'll ever get out of it or to see that there is a different way of being. And it gave me a very recent frame of reference for what it feels like to not be meditating versus to be meditating. And right. I can say decidedly, life is so much better when you're meditating. <laughs> it really just is. Yeah. So what are some of the, what are some of the stories that I know you've come across in your 11 years? Um, just remarkable people that, and perhaps had an aversion like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know you've encountered some. So what are some, I guess, testimonials? I mean, Dr. Mark Hyman is a huge testimonial for sure, mm-hmm. but just maybe like everyday people. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I did in the book is that I finished almost all of the chapters with case studies of people who, who had remarkable stories or transformations. And one of them, which I think you'll like, which is sort of a type A, I met someone at a business conference and she heard me speak on stage and she was a successful entrepreneur. She had left the corporate world and then started her own company and was doing well, had like a great reputation, but she was secretly $70,000 in debt. Mm. And she was really embarrassed about it because she had burned through her savings starting the company and she couldn't really like afford to take the training, but she was like, I just know there's something here. Let me just do it. And then she went from being $70,000 in debt to grossing 1.2 million in her first year. And she attributes that solely to meditation because she's like, I was doing all the same business things. The only thing that shifted was my frame of mind. I started trusting my intuition. I started uh, like stopping second guessing myself. And she's like, I had the talent. I had the tools. I had the training, but I wasn't trusting myself. I wasn't trusting my intuition. So that was a fun story. Um, there was another story of a woman who uh, had stage three breast cancer and had a double mastectomy and then came to take Ziva before she started her training. I'm sorry, her um, treatments. Mm-hmm. And what she said is that meditation helped her to experience her cancer instead of fight her cancer. Oh, wow. And I thought that was such a profound shift because anything we push against is going to push back harder. You know, it's like if you resisting something, you know, what you resist persists and the harder you fight something, it's going to fight back. And so she said the meditation allowed her to experience her cancer and, and helped her to recover from the treatments so much more quickly. And now she's cancer free. She has been for three years. She brought me in to teach her whole company to meditate. I taught 150 people at her financial tech firm to meditate after her recovery um, because her, her story was so profound. I've had women who were not able, uh, capable of orgasm to have their first orgasms of their whole lives. One woman who had never been able to orgasm like 
ex- like exclusively internally. Uh, she had her first like vaginal orgasm of her life. I had a woman get pregnant at 44 with her first baby. We have a lot of Ziva babies. Fertility mm-hmm. goes way up. Um, one, one woman who cured her, I mean, I have hundreds, maybe even thousands of people who've cured their insomnia. Um, and then there are some people, one, there was one case study I put in and I liked it because it's just called from good to great. And he's like, my life was great. And he's like, you know, my life was fine. I had a kid. I had a successful company. I was surfing. You know, my life was good. I wasn't in crisis mode. There was nothing wrong, but I started meditating and now my life is great. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I usually end the show with a question asking the guest what they do in their 24 hours that makes it great. I know what you do, but what is something else that you do maybe that stems from the meditation or your practice that really helps with your health, happiness, and success? Mm. Well, I will say that, you know, going through pregnancy and now postpartum in the middle of a book launch, I've had to be basically like militant about my wellness and about my body and my brain because there's just no way I would have been able to do what I've been able to do if I wasn't taking care of myself. And I just, I want to highlight that because it's so easy as a mom or as, as anyone to think, well, my kids need me, my job needs me, my partner needs me. And I would say that, you know, you're the people around you don't want you sick, tired, and stressed. They want you happy. They want you present. They want you creative and kind. And so I will say that my morning routine consists of many things, but I wake up, I tongue scrape and like brush my teeth and meditate. And then I will exercise and I will make a smoothie and I will take my supplements. And on the days where I'm able to do all of those things, so mostly exercise, meditate, smoothie, and supplements, my day is like pretty much 98% guaranteed to be amazing. But if I miss any of those pieces, it's probably not going to be as amazing. And I might crash or bottom out or run out of energy or start making stupid mistakes. But if I do those things, if I take that time for myself in the morning, everything else is so much better. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Emily. While we were talking, I ordered your book. So you have one more book sale. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for your time. I will post the links up to Ziva and all the things you've got going on. So I appreciate it. Uh, Well, thank you for being open to moving past your aversions. And if you start meditating, we're going to need to record a new episode and we're going to have to do the after story. I know. We'll have to do like a big same 24 hours podcast party for all the (laughs) guests. (laughs) Exactly. Like, she finally did it. Meditation party. (laughs)